Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. The new show that's the talk of the town. You're tuned in with host Donna Lyons for the latest in entertainment plus the most engaging discussions, top actors, musicians, and producers from Hollywood to Broadway. It's all entertainment. Delivering the buzz and the scoop in three, two, one. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to It's All Entertainment. I am your host, Donna Lyons, right here on the Lyons Radio Network, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., and I am so thrilled to have my guest on again. He's a good friend of mine, and I just adore him, and I'm, I'm going to just bring him on right now. It's, it's Jeffrey Mark. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. The feeling is extraordinarily mutual. I have been well, longing to be back on the air with you. I know. We just have so much fun and I you know and I'm sorry I missed you when you were in DC we did try to make that work and it was just our schedules weren't jiving and time wise and you were just a little bit farther from me than we thought and it just didn't work out so next time you come here you make sure you get together for sure um next time I come east I'm gonna be in Washington DC and I'm gonna sing for our people at the Pentagon and I'll be in the studio with you and we're gonna have a great time Oh, we definitely will. Now, you know, for people who don't know you, let's give them a little bit of background. You you have done comedy and you've done Broadway and you um, you do writing and producing, you've done documentaries and cable television, you've done radio, uh, you're a performer in nightclubs and on cruise ships, and you're also a, an incredible author. And some of the books you've written are The Lucy Book, Ethel Merman, uh, the Family Affair Cookbook, and your most recent is Ella, a biography of the legendary Ella Fitzgerald. And you've come on the show before to to talk about that, but I thought how appropriate. It's Black History Month right now, and it's so important that we bring light to some of these people that have changed history in America. Um, and so tell us a little bit about how Ella Fitzgerald, I mean, she was the first African-American woman of the band era need her own band so tell us a little bit about that well ella is like her own treasure box of firsts if you're looking for firsts with black performers almost always the road leads back to ella fitzgerald mm-hmm. ella had been discovered and i don't want to belabor her awful childhood Let's just tell our friends who are listening, she was mentally abused, physically tortured, and raped. And yet, by her late teens, she was the number one singer in the country. So first, as a human being, Ella Fitzgerald was a survivor, and Ella got as much flack and nonsense for being female in a male-dominated industry as she did for being African-American. So she was not just African-American, she was African-American female. Right. So she becomes the female singer in the country with the Chick Wag Orchestra, and when Chick passes away, they hand her the baton. It becomes Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra, and as you've already said, 
she becomes the first African-American woman to lead her own big band. But the firsts don't stop there. She was really the first African-American singer to get a wide audience in our country, that her audience wasn't just other African-Americans. Across the board, people listened to her, critics loved her, uh, and people were buying her records. And as her career matured, and as we matured as a society, you have Ella breaking race barriers in Las Vegas, in nightclubs. Thanks to her friend Marilyn Monroe, she got into places that other black performers couldn't get into. Thanks to Marilyn, she walked in the front door instead of the back door. And uh, thanks to her manager, Norman Granz, every place she played after 1955 was an integrated audience. Everything she did on television, the people who played with her were integrated. He made sure of it, or they wouldn't go. So what do you think, Ella didn't... What, I was just well, going to ask you real quick, what do you think Ella, it was about her? Go ahead. No, just that, that Ella... Um, quietly did these things. There are other mm-hmm. performers who were wonderful. Lena Horne, Sammy Davis Jr., th- th- those first two come to mind. But they were very busy blasting to the world what they were doing. Ella did it quietly. Ella just did it. She did it and moved on. Ella gave enormous amounts of money to Dr. Martin Luther King. She didn't talk about it. She went to the marches when she could. She would take private airplanes and fly in and be a presence and fly out. She didn't stay for the press. She just went and gave support. Ella took her own private money and opened up a center for youth in Los Angeles, totally funded by her own money. She wouldn't even take contributions. These are things Ella did that nobody knows about. She did it quietly because she thought it was the right thing to do not because it would make her more famous. Right, right. Just a beautiful human being. And and when you think about all the things that she went through, that, she, you know, she had the spirit. She had a broken spirit probably for so long and then came out at the top um, because she chose that. And I think that's another thing that's really important to tell people is that no matter how broken you can get, that you, you know, you can be, you can get out of it at some point and you really can move forward. And I think that's really, uh, I mean, that's a big part of her story. She's just a beautiful human being. I mean, how incredible that you got to know her and um, work with the family and this book. It's such an honor. When we talk about psychological trauma due to all the Mm -hmm. things we just mentioned today, in today's society and today's psychology, we talk about don't be a victim. Don't play the victim. Don't let this get you down. We're, we're, we're going back to the 1930s when these things happened to Ella. Before World oh. War II, during a depression, she had no psychological help. But there was something inside of her that spoke to her soul, or maybe her soul spoke to her and said, look, you can fold up your tents here and be like other people and and." live hand to mouth, or you can say, you know what, I deserve better than this. It doesn't matter what's happened to me. What matters is what's going to happen to me. She never 
ever played the victim. The only time Ella got off-key a little bit or petulant is if her musicians couldn't keep up with her. She demanded that since she's doing her best, that they do their best. Other than that, you know, and I spoke to hundreds of people about Ella and did hundreds of interviews. I never heard, uh, oh, gee, she was so depressed. Oh, gee, uh, she she did this or she did that. She went through five years where she wouldn't work. Nothing like you hear from other singers. The woman worked constantly, constantly touring two shows a night, six days a week, 40 or 42 weeks a year. She she was a singing machine. One of, one of her pianists said when Ella walked down the streets, she left notes behind her. She was so filled with the music, and that's what she lived for. She wouldn't allow circumstance to make her a victim. I think that's a really good takeaway about Ella. Perhaps that's why all these years later we still care, and perhaps that's why her music was so good. Yeah, I mean, it really, it, it shows. She's just, after reading your book, because, you know, I didn't know a lot of the things that we're talking about and that you talk about in the book. And like you said, a lot of people don't know some of these things about her. And I, and I really hope that people that are listening today pick up this book because it is so good and it's, um, it, it tells so much more about the person um, inside and out to the to 100 percent and you've done such an incredible job showing who she really is and truly is uh, was i should say um and just a just an incredible book so i hope people go out there and read it now i wanted to ask you she traveled yes, all over the, all over the world she's met people all over the world is there a great story that stands out um when she was traveling worldwide that you can tell us a great story. There's probably 500 great stories. It's a matter of <laughs> choosing which ones. You know, I, I've already mentioned Marilyn Monroe. Let's talk about their friendship because it does yeah, involve thanks. traveling a little bit. You know, Marilyn is such an icon. And I think people have the wrong impression of Marilyn Monroe, perhaps because she died so young, perhaps because she almost never did television. So all we have are these film roles to know her through. But right. Ella and Marilyn were friends. It's, it's a funny thing, and it's true of Marilyn Monroe, and it's true of Marlon Brando, and it's, it's true of a lot of the 50s icons, the angst-filled actors of the 50s. They all seemed to turn to Ella's music to calm themselves down. They all turned to her voice. Uh, Marilyn used to say, Ella's good for my tummy. So they really <laughs> revered her. And loved her and came to see her live whenever they could. Ella was trying to get booked into the Macambo, which was a, then an enormous feather in her cap in Hollywood. It was, no longer is, a huge nightclub. The biggest stars played there. They were afraid to book her because they were afraid if they had an African-American singer that the big paying white folks wouldn't show up. And Marilyn heard this. Ella was complaining to her. So Marilyn went to the owners of the club and said, look, you book Ella, book her for 10 days. I will come in, I will reserve a table of 10 every day of the 10 days. I will show up every night with 10 of the biggest movie stars and recording stars 
we have. Ella could sing the phone book. You will sell out because I will be there and my friends will be there. And they booked Ella, and Marilyn was true to her word every night. Ella never again had trouble getting booked into a major nightclub. From that point forward, her playing with small places was over. Now she's playing the the big boys because Marilyn helped open a door. Uh, Not literally, but there's another literally. Ella was in Colorado performing, and Marilyn was there either doing publicity or making one of her films, and she came to see Ella and did some publicity with Ella right before the event. So there is whoever is press in Denver, Colorado at that moment is there. They all take the pictures, they answer the questions, and now the management of the club is showing Ella into the back door because black people don't walk in the front door of this place. Marilyn puts her arm through Ella's, and that that breathy Marilyn talk was great on <laughs> film, but when Marilyn wanted to be loud, she knew how to project her voice, and this is what she said. Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald either enter this establishment through the front door, or Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald do not enter. All the press is there. What could they do? They let Ella come in the front door. Ella was never again denied access anywhere she played through whatever door every other performer would use to go in. That's a good girlfriend to have. Ella and Marilyn were doing, today we call it girl power. It was unknown back then, and it was unknown back then for women to stand up for one another because society pitted women against each other. Not here. They, Marilyn was, Ella is my friend. I can do this for her. And, And Marilyn taught Ella to do it for herself so that Ella observed what Marilyn did Ella was never witchy or playing the diva, but the the dressing room had to be clean and, and standard, and her gowns had to be just right, and she wanted the best musicians and the best arrangers. And Marilyn taught Ella how to advocate for herself. It's a huge wow. lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. I wish someone had taught me that when I was a younger person. Taught you to how to advocate for myself. Oh yes, yeah. Seriously, I think and and you know now it's getting a little bit easier. But you know back in the day, especially with segregation and all that, and it was just horrible. I I just don't know how people did it, and I just don't get it today because we still have people out there that are terrible, and um, they still see blacks and whites, and uh, you know I see people. And I wish everybody else in the world could as well, you know, and people could stick up for themselves, too, and advocate for themselves, like you said. It's so important today. Gosh. Ella, Ella played Washington, D.C. a lot. Mm-hmm. But going south of Washington, D.C., she had to be careful. On one occasion, she was arrested in her dressing room because they claimed that there was gambling going on in her dressing room. Ella was sitting and having ice cream. <laughs> drinking coffee, oh my and there God. were some musicians back there. Some local sheriff wanted to make, make a name for himself, and he thought that by arresting some prominent black performers, he would 
play to the white haters out there that he wanted their votes. And uh, it ended up with they arrested Ella. She's sitting in the station in a mink coat, right, all dressed up. They 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 release her so she can do her second show. The bail was like ten dollars, and then her manager went back and got the entire thing dismissed. But that was the kind of thing Ella got in the South. It isn't that she didn't play there; it's that she had to be very very careful because this kind of thing happened to all black performers. And, oh yeah, uh, it, it's the truth. I don't like saying it. As you may remember, I spent seven years in Baltimore County. I went to high school there. I got my show business start in Odenton at the Colony 7 Dinner Theater just outside of Washington, D.C. So I I have great affection for D.C. and Maryland and Virginia. And when I hear these things, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened there because I love you guys. And But it's part of our history. We, We can't pretend like it didn't happen. And we right. also shouldn't sit in it like it's not fixable. It's always fixable. There's always a chance to treat other people with respect. Ella always did. Ella treated everyone with respect, and the people she showed the most respect to were her audiences. She loved you guys. Those of you who are listening to us now, if you loved hearing Ella sing or you were lucky enough to get the chance to see Ella perform in person, as much as you may have cared about her, I am telling you that she cared about you more. She was so caught up with that if you spent $1 to see her, but you got your $1 money's worth. She even kept logs of what she sang in different cities. So that if she came to Washington and appeared in a club or a theater, and let's say you guys really liked three of the 15 songs she sang, when she came back six months later, she'd sing those three songs but not repeat anything else so that you wouldn't get bored with her. That's how concerned she always was. And again, that's why we're still talking about her. She cared so deeply about what she did, and she cared so deeply about the people out there spending their money on her. I don't know very many performers who have that kind of love. I I mean, love for their (laughs) audiences like Ella did. It's true. It's true. But a lot of people are in it. You know, it's, it's about the money and getting that show over with, you know, and it's sad because people like Ella aren't around as much anymore. It's, uh, you know, she was one of a kind, that's for sure. And your book tells so much about her. So, Jeffrey, before we go, tell me a little bit about what's going on with you. What do you have going? Well, the book is in soft cover edition now. That means it's the same size as the original book. Well, you know, it just came out a few months ago, but now it's soft cover, same size. But because it's soft cover, it's less expensive. So the new version of the book has the CDs in it. What CDs are those, Jeffrey Mark? Well, let me tell you. I was I <laughs> Aren't you glad? I look, I love to make people laugh. It's part of what I do. I did I did a show for her 100th birthday uh at the Grammy Museum. And Universal Music had a presence there and the book was going to come out. It was it wasn't printed yet. And Patty Austin sang and I was there with her. And I said, Universal Music, hi there. Well, they said, you know, we own the first 20 years of Ella's recordings. I said, how cool is that? Yeah. 
And then we own the next 10 years of recordings, too. How cool is that? Well, it turns out they own or distribute all of her music now, except for two albums. And I said, gee whiz, under one corporate umbrella, wouldn't it be cool to be able to include music in the book? So I write extensively about the music, and I write extensively about her life. So no matter which right. part of her interests you, there's great stuff in there for you. So what's in there now? And it just took months of negotiation. I chose 20 of what I feel are the best songs she recorded in the studio and sequenced them exactly the way Ella would have. And that's disc number one. Seven decades of the best of Ella Fitzgerald. Disc two is live performances because she is the most live recorded person ever. No one has made as many live albums as Ella Fitzgerald has. That's from four decades of live concerts, 19 songs, because the applause adds a little extra time. And again, I sequence them exactly the way Ella would have. Jeff, how do you know that you would have sequenced them exactly the way Ella did? I know because at the end of her life, Ella began to have some memory problems. And, and you know, when you get to be a certain age, your voice doesn't have the fluidity, fluidity it used to. You, maybe you can't right. get some notes anymore. Right. So I would choose songs for her. I would choose a set list for her of things that she could still do that were in her range because she was forgetting what she had recorded. And a moment ago I said you never heard me sing a song twice. Towards the end you were beginning to. And it was starting to be, if you saw Ella more than once, you were seeing the same show. So I was the guy who made up lists. So I know how she liked to do stuff. Opening number, second number, ballad. So I've done it just the way I would have if she were doing this live. And uh, people are loving it, and now it's free. Folks, the CDs are free in the book. So you're either buying a book and getting two CDs of free music, or you're buying two CDs of music you can't get anyplace else, and you're getting a free book. Either way, you're going to Amazon.com and buying it, because how can you turn this down? That's my commercial. What else do you want to know? (laughs) Okay, one question before I let you go. Do you have a favorite song? you my favorite ballad my favorite ballad that she sang and it's 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 from a moment in time she had she was appearing in japan in 1953 with a group called the jazz at the philharmonic and she was re- appearing with a quartet so it was a small group and she was singing a beautiful song called Body and Soul. And it's one of my favorite songs. And the way she sings it is so perfect. But right in the middle of a note, somebody in the audience decided to take a flash picture. And the flashbulb exploded. And she laughs. She can't help it. Because it's like this is just too weird. But she catches herself after one second and goes right back into the song. And it's just such a brilliant performance live. So Body and Soul from Japan is my favorite ballad. And if we're talking about up-tempo things, only because it's so iconic. In, In February of 1960, she was about to sing in Berlin in front of about 10,000 people. And the only thing you need to know about this story is that 
1959, the year before, both Bobby Darren and Louis Armstrong had had number one hits with Mac the Knife. And her manager yeah. came backstage and said, Ella, I want you to do a chorus of Mac the Knife out there. We've never heard a girl sing it. It's so popular in the States. And normally she did what she was told, but this time she said, no, I don't like the song. I don't know the words. I'm not doing this. And her pianist, Paul Smith, was backstage with her. And he said, Ella, look, this isn't worth getting upset about. It isn't worth arguing with Norman Granz about. I'll do a little vamp. Do a chorus and get off. We're singing 18 other songs besides this. This is just a throwaway. And as she's getting out there, Norman says, remember, it's Germany. They don't know English. They won't even know what you're singing. Okay. <laughs> she goes to her concert, and she decides to do Macklin Knife almost at the end to make sure that she does good first. And she gets out there, and she introduces it, and she begins to sing it. And two or three choruses in, she hasn't got a clue what this song is about, what the words are. She never did know that it was a song about a slasher. I mean, just not a clue. So on her feet, in front of 10,000 people, she makes up a whole new song. And all the words rhyme exactly where they're supposed to, and they all fit the meter of the song exactly the way they're supposed to, as if she'd spent weeks or months writing this thing. Wow. At the end of it, at the end of it she got a standing ovation because Norman Granz was wrong. They did speak English. They knew exactly what she had just done in front of them. <laughs> she absorbed fantastic. all of that, all of that love from the audience, and followed Mac the Knife with a nine-minute version of "How High the Moon," scatting her brains out. And wow. I will tell you what happened from that. Besides it being, in my estimation, the greatest example of jazz singing that ever has happened or will happen. Ella won two Grammy Awards for that. That is for how that iconic one? it became. For that performance, for Mac the Knife as a song and for the album it came from, two Grammy wow. Awards. And, of course, she's the first African-American to do that. Yeah. Until the next again. year when she did it again. So yeah. uh, th- those are my two favorite things, Body and Soul in Japan and Mac the Knife and Hell High the Moon back-to-back. It just doesn't get any better. Simply amazing. You can listen to her music all day long, every single day, 24-7. It's just, um, it's good stuff. Jeffrey, I want to thank you so much. I've missed talking to you. I see you, I mean, we chat on Facebook here and there, but I miss talking to you. And um, come on anytime. I mean, when you're, if you're, if you're at home and you're bored, call me up and say, hey, let's do a show. (laughs) I'm going to remind your listeners that that I am, among other things, a show business historian, and I have been lucky enough to know tremendous icons of show business personally. So 1875 to 1975, Broadway, vaudeville, recordings, films, nightclubs, television, you pick a topic and I'll come on and we can, I've, got, I've got hundreds of stories to share with you. Anytime you want me, all you have to do is ask. Oh my gosh, that would be a blast. I think we should do that once a month and have you come on and let's just talk about, uh, you know, a different era. I think it would be a blast. Yes. We are booked, baby. You just made a deal on the air. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm serious about this. I love this stuff. And, you know, 
face. The show's called It's All Entertainment. Let's talk about it, right? <laughs> and I love Washington, D.C., and I love Southern Maryland. And just that I could be heard by my friends there makes me very, very happy. Oh, well, listen, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're super busy, and I totally appreciate you taking some time to be with me. I feel so honored, and I love you to pieces, and we'll talk real soon. I love you back. You're wonderful at what you do. And those of you out there, whoever get a chance to, to see her, uh, she's the real thing. She is always a pleasure and a great talent, and I'm so happy to be on with you. Oh, thanks, Jeffrey. You have a great rest of your day, okay? You too, and we'll be on in a month. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a reminder note. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right ma'am. After the show. <laughs> okay. Bye, Jeffrey. Bye, bye, folks. Everyone, that was Jeffrey Mark, my sweet friend who I just absolutely adore. And please, please, um, if you can get get on uh, Amazon.com and get the book Ella a biography of legendary Ella Fitzgerald. Um, and, and it's got two CDs right now. They're free. It just comes right with the book with a lot of her incredible music. You can't go wrong with this, people. And Jeffrey has done an amazing job telling us all about her, her life, the type of person she was, and some great, great stories that we can all learn from. I hope you guys all have a great rest of your day. And uh, tomorrow's show uh, is Mike Lanetto from Airborne, and we will be talking to him. I will be posting a link, so I hope you guys can all join us. Have a great rest of your day, everyone.